short song. Ooh. <laughs> oh, it feels good to get a laugh out like, of that joke. We tell that joke. Uh, we're in episode 118, I think. So we've told that joke at least 100 times. Yeah. And pretty much every other guest before is just like, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> Someone got it, finally. <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. Hi, I'm Sean Hartman, Marketing Director at Tough Shed, and we've got some new designs that are going to drive you wild, friend. I'm excited to announce our highly anticipated line of celebrity-endorsed sheds, including the Angela Bofill Gable of the Night. <laughs> Wow. And remember, every unit has a DCA certified too tough guarantee and can hold the weight of any motorcycle. Is that a Longmont Potion Castle thing? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that does There's sound There's layers like... to the references. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm stunned. I'm also co-host Jeremy Ruggles, Devil of the Day. <laughs> Short and Keep sweet. Keep it simple. Yeah. Pure. And I am co-host Peter Cook, and honestly, I am nonplussed and dumbfounded that after co-host Sean nearly boycotted an episode when he was mistaken on our Dynasty episode thinking that it was a Kiss album, that he's coming back with the Kiss album, Creatures of the Night. <laughs> Peter, 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 you're confused again. I have what? not changed. I would never. You are confused. <laughs> what 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 are we doing? It's not Kiss Creatures of the Night from 1982. No, it's Angela Bofill, Angel of the Night from 1979. Oh, that explains. I see. I see. That explains both your title and Jeremy's. Yeah, yeah. we got it all figured out now. And I think we might have a special guest. Who could it be? Hello, my name is Duji, Duji M. Shinda, a.k.a. Duji13. I am the logistics director for Vinyl Tap 215, the president and CEO of True Diversity Productions. Uh, we make good experiences happen for good people. Thank you for joining us this evening, and we're going to be talking about one of the records of my youth, Angela Bofill's Angel of the Night. Hell wow. yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, you for joining you us. You sound very important. <laughs> <laughs> what you didn't know, dog? I'm a whole dignitary up in this piece. They don't call him the mayor of vinyl for nothing out here in Philadelphia. For wow. real. For real. I'm a community builder of the first order, sir. Wow. And uh, Vinyl Tap 215 is the same group of DJs out here in Philly that Lola Kinks is a part of. Former guest on the show, Lola Kinks. Yes. Well, Sean has, uh, in just a little over a year of being in Philadelphia, Sean has met the people he wanted to exactly. in his move to Philadelphia. 
It's all happening. Tapping the vinyl tap. <laughs> it's a unique experience. The only rule is that you play music that you love, you know, and um, it's grown into like a really um, a strong family where we go from records to real like that. So it's just we just show up as people that happen to play. It's a beautiful records. thing. Well, before we get into the discussion too much, what track should we listen to first off this record? I mean, I would just put the drop the needle on side one and like grab a beer and sit back because, like, you know what I mean. It's it's pretty much very strong from beginning. Right. All right, we're gonna start a... with side A, track one. I try. This is one of Angela Bofill's signature songs. Great way to kick off the record. I try to fulfill our guests suggestions and i have a non-alcoholic ipa called sunset stoke in my hand to enjoy this track perfect you're ready are you getting secret like advertisement dollars behind our back peter (laughs) no you're the one you're the one that handed this to me jeremy i know (laughs) i think you're getting the secret advertising this is my smoke screen (laughs) you know that i will plug anything you put in my hand (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, if we start hearing a lot more episodes of Peter talking about cool, refreshing beverages and the health benefits of his uh, elixirs and tonics, then we can start being really worried. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. Spin that track. Until then, let's listen to this song. Thank you. 
great opening cut right out the gate. You find out what she's all about. And I, I have to say, I did see a version of her performing that on Johnny Carson in a little bit of research that I did for this. And I think that I actually liked that performance slightly more than the recorded version here. Yeah, live performances are are really great to find from her. She makes these songs her own and just really puts a piece of her soul into every performance from what I've seen and uh, testimonies I've read from people that have played with her. Yeah, she started scatting on the track a little bit on the Mm -hmm. live version. Yeah, she's not only an accomplished singer, but a brilliant jazz and classical musician and an accomplished pianist as well. So... You know, she just wasn't, she wasn't just another talented singer walking in and doing what other people told her. Like she was, she had a big hand on a lot of these songs. And that opening track was one that she actually wrote. And not only did she write it, but it's specifically about a big breakup in her life from like the first significant long-term relationship she had been in. And I also found out that that relationship was with a guy named Buddy Williams, who's playing drums on that song. Yeah. he's only on two tracks on the record the first song and the the last song so like she specifically had him play play the drums on this bitter breakup song that she wrote about him and then it became a big hit for her what a boss move oh my god so doji you're the one that brought this record and i know you've got some personal history with it you want to tell us a little bit about what this record means to you um i try well, the song or or just the whole record in general. Oh, the whole record. It was, um, yeah, it was something that like was in the background of my youth and growing up. Like my my mom played the record, my uncle played the record, and um, and like I think as diggers, at least I can say for myself, I I kind of take for granted sometimes the stuff that I grew up listening to because it was just there. So I'm always like searching and searching and searching for like stuff I'm unfamiliar with, learning about new stuff, learning about new stuff, learning about new stuff. But eventually, like, you know what I mean? You pull out those Earth, Wind & Fire records, you pull out them James Brown records, you pull out, you, your uncle dies and you get a crate full of records and Angela Bofill is right there. And you're like, well, let me take this to my gig I got coming up. You know what I mean? And play people make the world go round. Cause that's like, for me, people make the world go round is like one of my like personal anthems. You know what I mean? Like when it says go underground, young man, people make the world go round. It's just like, um, sometimes when I've had like mental health struggles and I hear that song, that part of the song, people go underground, young man. And just like, I feel like I need to disappear for a while so I can, you know what I mean? Get myself together and come back and help the world keep spinning again. But, um, I played the record. I think you were at the um, the Bartram event. You were at a couple of those this summer, and mm-hmm. um, it was the August John for um, L'Oreal's birthday, and my uncle was at Leo too. And it was uh, we had rescheduled it because it was hot, and it was still hot the second time, but we just had to do it. And it turned out we it was in a nice little shady spot, and I dropped this in the middle of my set, and like folks was running up like, "Yo, which version is this?" And for it to be like such a common record, you know what I mean, for this it has explosive, explosive version of People Make the World Around. Which was originally a stylistic song. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um it's definitely a um a Philadelphia International classic. 
And um, they sing it as like a down tempo, like slow ballad. And then like it, it works as in the original arrangement. But like, I don't know whose idea it was to make this a dance number, but yo, they really, um, they hit gold with this one. Yeah, that'll be the, the next song that we play, the Linda Creed and Tom Bell classic. But yeah, let's talk a little bit more about Angela Bofield before we get to that track just yet. She's got a really unique voice, which when we did this series of Philly soul albums, we talked a lot about how a lot of the Philly artists and especially a lot of the 70s R&B artists, there's a lot of very unique vocalists. And I think Angela Bofill fits that legacy really well. So it makes sense that she'd be doing a, a Philly soul cover on this record. Yeah, I was not familiar with her as an artist. I think that first song we played, I try, I think I've heard that out in the world a little bit, but I was very impressed with listening to this for the first time ever today with how diverse of a record it is. You know, it's 1979 and she's covering not only what was kind of trending a little bit then, but also stuff from further back in the past. And even I feel like paving the way for some other artists a few years later, maybe like maybe Anita Baker took a little inspiration from Angela Bofield. I think so. I mean, in some ways, this record seems just slightly ahead of its time as far as the trends. I mean, you think about 1979, there was smooth stuff happening, but this is like full on disco still. You know, a lot of people working in this genre are making like very up tempo numbers. So this record just has this lush sound to it and this very slow, laid back and like complicated groove going on. And also very little guitar on this record. There's only guitar on one track. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Wow. I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize it was that sparse. Yeah, this might be like the least guitar on maybe not any record we've covered, but definitely any R&B record we've covered. Yeah, was, as you mentioned, very rhythmically complex throughout and harmonically. I was like, this must be a jazz person. I can feel it. <laughs> not only jazz but jazz and classical oh yeah harmony for days so complex so tell me about angela sean you want a little just a little bit of biographical info real quick yeah 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 all right we'll start our story begins may 2nd 1954 angela bofill was born oldest of two sisters Mother was a black African Puerto Rican and father was a white Cuban who was a percussionist and singer and had played with the famous Latin big band leader Machito, who also famously collaborated with a saxophone player by the name of Charlie Parker at one point. Oh, wow. So throughout her records, you'll hear a strong Afro-Cuban Latin rhythm influence going on, which this record has some really, really good examples of and adds to the rhythmic and harmonic complexity of the album. Uh, she grew up in the projects of West Harlem, studied classical music, and sang in the New York All City Chorus, which was like a collection of the best singers from all the high schools in the five boroughs. She graduated with a bachelor's degree in music in 1976, performed locally, until her friend, the jazz flautist Dave Valentine, introduced her to his friends Dave Grushin and Larry Rosen, who had just started the GRP Records label. So this was 1978. She's one of the first people signed to the label 
and drops her debut record, Angie, in 1978, which met with decent sales and uh, glowing reviews. And in 1979, here she was back with her hotly anticipated sophomore release, Angel of the Night. And uh, how about we pause there and play this People Make the World Go Around track that we've been hyping up? Definitely. Let's do that. This is a great version of the song, and it features some of those Latin rhythms you mentioned. Exactly. Side A, track two. by that resident bass commenter that was uh sick bass <laughs> agreed agreed fully agreed <laughs> and i'm 100 percent on board with any song calling out the man calling out the bankers you know people yeah, make the world go around labor creates all wealth i'm here for it love it I don't know if any of us know if the lyrics are a bit different from the original stylistics version or not. Did she personalize this a little or does it closely follow the original? The lyrics are spot on. It's just that the delivery is so up tempo and to hear it um, with a woman's voice and for it to be danceable, it just gives it a whole new life and energy. But yeah, I was, I think I played the stylistic version like last week or whatever just like because i wanted to hear that version 
And um, the lyrics are exactly the same. It's uncanny how she like really made it her own. But with her bio that I didn't know that he read, it makes sense that um, she's able to like just finesse so many um, divergent elements between the classical, the jazz, and the Afro-Cuban influences and just like weave them together into this cohesive whole that makes it something completely new and wonderful. It's, it's amazing. There's also something cool about this record where I feel like a lot of female solo artists, especially in the R&B world around this time, so many of their records were just, obviously all of the lyrics were written by men. And you just like get this feeling like it's not actually the honest opinion of the artist, but you know, maybe they had their hands tied a little bit, but this record really feels like it's Angela Bofill's statement. This is what she wanted the record to sound like, and these are the words she wanted to say. I mean, you know, the song we just played was a cover, but it was co-written by a woman, at least, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, but, like, you did say it was written by Linda yeah. Creed yep. and Tom Bell. And, like, I don't know if this is Jermaine or not. It's definitely not Tito. I was a Jackson joke. That's okay. <laughs> I was with you on it. When you said she was born in May 1954, all I got to think about is my mom was born in November of 1954. So for my mom, this was like me, like me listening to Andre 3000. He was born in 1975, I was born in 1975. Being able to like buy records that are your contemporary, that speak to you, that you want to like play over and over again. That's, a, that's an amazing thing to have. And so for, um, for me to be able to like continue in that um, passing on culture from her generation to the next, I feel really, um, I feel really great, grateful to be able to um, perform that service. Yeah, and it's it's cool to be able to listen to these records removed from whatever bias and context you were bringing into it before, and be able to use it as like a window into that time period and like the people who were coming from that time period and her generation. And it's you know, it's the historical element of record collecting that makes it interesting too. So I've got the second half of the bio here that we can dive into if y'all want to hear a little more info. Cannonball. So we left her in 1979, <laughs> releasing Angel of the Night. This amazing record, once again, very well reviewed and moderately successful on the charts. This record was, as we said, released on the GRP label, which at this point was being distributed by Arista Records. So the president of Arista, Clive Davis, took notice our good old buddy clive davis our good old buddy clive davis <laughs> it's been a while since he was on the pod a very very complicated history in the world of music he put on a lot of incredible Amen. black artists and he kept down a lot of black artists as well and <laughs> just a complicated guy who's probably much shittier than most documentaries want you to believe <laughs> anyway Clive Davis <laughs> hears her music <laughs> and signs her directly to Arista and pairs her with the hot producer at the time, Narada Michael Walden, who is Kalamazoo or close to Kalamazoo native, if I'm not mistaken. What? Really? Yeah. He's from like one of the small towns surrounding Kalamazoo. From what I hear, like back in the day, he used to like be the the star in the like parades downtown and stuff because he's like at the time was like the most famous person from the area is he from Plainwell? uh you know you're gonna make me look it up right now here we go looking it up <laughs> nerd alert nerd alert nerd <laughs> alert born 
April 23rd, 1952, in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Not even a surrounding city, just straight up from oh. Kalamazoo. Okay. Dun, yeah. dun, dun. That's where Peter and I are, in case yeah. the rest of the world doesn't know. Yep. Yes. So this is your it's first the... time listening. Two of us are based in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yes. Is that in the mitten or the thumb? It's a... It is. It's the, the bottom left of the mitten. Yeah. It's yep. close to the okay. wrist. Oh. <laughs> God. You, you, you want to know why somebody from Philly knows that about the mitten thing, right? What? Yeah. 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 Know? yeah. Tell us. Well, because, like, Sean wasn't the first person I, I met that moved from Michigan to Philly. And I don't know if y'all know, but in Philly, like, the weird white folks like to name their houses, you know, the group houses. Um, so there'd be like in West Philly, there was like houses called like the Percolator and um, Night Squad and Cindergarten. <laughs> there was one called a farm. But one day I happened upon one and so somebody said, Welcome to the Mitten. And I'm like, What the fuck is the Mitten? And they're like, Well, in Michigan, <laughs> if you put, if you look in Michigan, it looks like, a, and I'm a, like a geography nerd. I used to read the like Charlie Brown encyclopedias back to back and front to back and just over and over so yeah that's why i know about the mitten thing in michigan because like i collect like factoids about geography and the world and so i can bring them up in odd conversations like this when you say i'm from kalamazoo and i can be like oh, what <laughs> I sound really like in it and like you know relate to where you're from because i paid attention to a conversation like yeah, yeah, all led up to this <laughs> <laughs> I was ready. <laughs> so anyway, Angela Bofill making some records with Narada, Michael Walden, culminating in her 1983 hit album, Too Tough, which was actually the record I was more familiar with coming into this. I owned that one, but did not own Angel of the Night up until Doogie made this his selection. And it's a cool comparison. Too Tough is a little more like synth heavy boogie funk, uh, whereas this one has the obvious jazz influence. But uh, I highly recommend them both. They're good for different reasons. And it's interesting hearing what elements of this she carried in to that other part of her career just a few years later. Yeah, that just reminded me in the 1980s, as a child of the, of the 1980s, it was very important to be tough. Like new kids on the block, <laughs> hang tough. The, that word was used a lot back then, and I don't, I don't really hear it used as much anymore. We need to get right. tough again. Yeah, let's bring it back. Run DMC was tougher than yes, leather. exactly. <laughs> Peter Cook, make America tough again. I know. <laughs> In Philly, there was a, a group called Tough Crew. They, um, their uh, the song I still play is my part of town. And I'm I'm not like a cutter DJ, but like the cut and scratch DJ, they go off on that because it's it's already got scratching in it and it's real percussive. But another <laughs> there, there was a label in New York called Tough City Records in the eighties. Yeah. Hang tough. All right. Hang <laughs> tough. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. So after the early eighties. Angela married a man named Rick Vincent, who at the time was a farmer who was so removed from society that they were dating for over a month without him even realizing that she was a musician, which was part of the attraction for her, apparently. <laughs> Later on in the late 80s, he had a very short run as a country musician and released one <laughs> album and then did like a little bit of songwriting after that. 
Okay, so he wasn't an established country musician when he met her. No, he was just like a farmer dude, just like going for walks in the woods and enjoying nature. <laughs> so once she got with him, she became very health conscious and became a self-described fanatic juicer. Apparently, most of her rider for concerts at this point was mostly just like different kinds of juice and health food and vegetables that needed to be in the green room for every performance which is great she went from tough to raw exactly <laughs> you think that's like harder for promoters to get together than like the normal drugs and stuff <laughs> yeah like if only she just wanted some coke like a normal musician why the fuck do i have to find these exotic carrots and shit <laughs> organic kiwi fruits yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, so they separated in 1994, and then in 2006, she unfortunately suffered a debilitating stroke that required extensive physical and speech therapy. Uh, a lot of her friends organized fundraisers and also helped, also helped release a live album around the time to help fund her hospital bills as she did not have health insurance, all too common of a story in America. So... She put in a ton of work to the physical therapy and trying to get back on her feet. And then in 2007, she had another stroke, which has left her to this day with limited speech and mobility. However, she has continued to put just an immense amount of work into coming back and restoring her quality of life. And something I thought was really cool was in the early 2010s, her manager came up with the idea of doing a run of shows that they build as the Angela Bofill experience, where they got a bunch of her friends and colleagues in the music industry, including Melba Moore, to perform her songs. And she would sit on stage while the performance was happening. And then in between tracks, she could talk about the songs and tell her life story and interact with the audience. So it was like a way for her to return to the stage, even though she didn't doesn't have the ability to perform these songs the same way anymore. Uh, she expressed immense gratitude for having fans that were willing to stick with her even after she couldn't sing anymore, which I thought was something really special. There's been some talk of her returning to singing. She's expressed interest in it and has put work towards it, but at this point I don't know if it's going to happen. She is only 67 years old at this point. Ever since her stroke, she's been living with her family who has been caring for her and helping her get through in any way that she can. Can I rewind and ask a question? Yes. How old was she at the recording of this album then? Like 25? Um, if this, yeah, this is 1979, this is 23, 24, mm -hmm. 25. Okay. Like she's young. Yeah. She's, she's her second album. She probably, you know, grad school age, you know? Anthropologists say our brains aren't done forming until we're 25. So this is just like her um, stepping out on her, um, her potential and her talent. Yeah. Especially, you know, with that first track, I Try, being about her first big breakup from a serious relationship. This is like a major, you know, early mid 20s coming of age record. Two notes before we jump into another track, real quick. Denzel Washington has stated that this is his favorite singer of all time. And also, Angela herself has stated that of all of her records, this one is the favorite one that she's ever made. And she considers it her best record. I remember that scene in Training Day where Denzel got Ethan Hawke to smoke PCP and then played him this record. 
Oh, shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was, Wait, what? That should have happened, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm going along with it. It don't even have to be true. Like, oh, yeah. Damn, I've seen that deleted scene. Up. Legendary. <laughs> yeah, like, just be in a moment. I didn't know you liked to get tough. <laughs> so damn tough, rock on. My goodness. It's a special Denzel Washington cut. <laughs> All speaking right. of cuts what do we got next uh i think it's time for the title track side one side one track three angel of the angel night of the night great tracks on this album but personally i think that one's got to be my favorite just it's just the chords and the direction that it keeps going like you think you've got the song figured out and then it shifts or like they just throw in like a really interesting chord here and there and it's it just keeps you interested the whole time love that one yeah that's a winner it's a banger certified yeah i can't help but think about my mom whenever i play this song she passed when I was 23, um, 1997. I guess that's 22 because I was born in 75. So, like, um, yeah, I didn't know, I didn't realize how important this, this album is to, like, just who I am as a person as I'm sitting here listening to it with y'all. Like, um, because, um, yeah, once... Um, once my mom transitioned and wasn't in a, in a physical body anymore, I had to like um, just believe that um, she's still here. 
and live the lessons that she um, she taught me. So yeah, I'm um, sorry, y'all. I'm a little emotional. No, right that's now. beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Apologize for being emotional. Making me feel emotional. So yeah, this I got the 45 off a of Gene when he was at um, Brewery Town Beats with us the one time, and um, and I would just spin it like you know whenever like if I was at um, I did a coffee and donuts series at Mill Creek Cafe, you know what I mean? A couple months, um, a couple years ago. And I would play it where wherever I w- wanted to play, and I would just always be able to think of her when I played that song. So I was stuck on the title track for like years, and then like in the last year, like the the last one we played, it it popped out to me, and it's like oh. And then there's that too, but like Angel of the Night is the one that like you know what I mean. I could play morning, noon, and night anytime, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just like feel like my mom is right there with me. That's amazing. And it's it's interesting how some records just speak to you speak to you differently in different times in your life. You know, maybe the first time you heard it, a song just like didn't hit you at all, and then a decade later you throw it on, and it's just like it feels completely different. That's it's the beauty of record digging and music collecting and all of this. Yeah, a lot a lot of times um, I'll buy a record, and sometimes the ones I don't get a chance to listen to right away they just like sit and they're like, they're waiting for me. You know, when I, when I do like go to play them, I'm like, oh yeah. Or like you listen, or other ones you buy right, right you buy and listen to right away. And you're like, I'm like, ooh, why'd I buy that record? <laughs> but like, you don't sell it, you know, you don't get rid of it, you don't donate it. And then maybe like, you know, five, six, eight years later, you go play it again and you're like, oh, I really like this record. Cause like our ears mature mm-hmm. and we don't, feel our ears maturing until we listen to the same song you know 10 years later even like um you can really talk about it like with rap songs where like there was stuff that like i would listen to in the 90s and i would like i would like it for what it was and have but hadn't really like listened to it much since then and done this whole like digging you know path and journey and learn so much about you know, mean different samples and different songs, and then you go listen to a song from the '90s and you hear the pieces that they use, and you're like, "Oh, that's the Skull Snaps break," or "And that's the, imp- the piece of President," or "That's you know what I mean so and so used that too," and it like gives you a whole different um, understanding of the process that people were going through with with such limited technology. You know what I mean, and especially speaking of the '90s and the um, sampler time that they had with the equipment they were using back then. Mm-hmm. yeah it's it's so much fun to just be able to continually connect the dots and the more you dig into music especially in hip-hop and r&b worlds there's there's just so much connection between like the players and the influences and you know the the breaks and the samples and everything and it just it becomes more fun and more interesting the further down you go so speaking of the connections on records, you guys want to hear about the players that made this beautiful record happen? Yeah. All right. Real quick. I don't have every single name written down because if I wanted to include the entire like string section and everything, we'd be here all day. So this is the selected players on the album. On backing vocals, we have Connie Harvey, notable for being a member of the group The Teddy Bears, which was Teddy Pendergrass's backing vocalist group. You also got Gwen Guthrie mm. when she was just coming up. This is before any of her solo records had dropped yet. And yeah. you have 
jazz vocalist extraordinaire Patty Austin on backing vocals on a couple tracks here. On bass, we got two guys. You have Francisco Centeno, who is a prolific studio musician discovered initially by Ashford and Simpson and then went on to work with so many people. Tinker Barfield is the next guy. He was the one that Jeremy gave the bass shout out to previously. He's another studio musician extraordinaire, played on a bunch of stuff, and was also a member of the short-lived band The Space Cadets, featuring synth player from P-Funk, Bernie Worrell. His name sounds real sus. I don't I don't buy that name. <laughs> Tinker Barfield. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> That's someone on the run. That's, That's witness true. protection name right there. <laughs> Maybe maybe he was a mechanic. I mean, or he just like murdered a bunch of people, changed his name to Tinker Barfield, and became a prolific studio musician. There's just no way to tell. It it just has quotations in the liner notes, so it's definitely not a um, government name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on drums, we got two guys, Buddy Williams, who we mentioned, Angela Bofill's ex. He's on the first and last track. Buddy Williams has an extensive list of amazing records he's played on, but previous to this, he had played with some notable jazz artists and funk artists such as Doug Karn, Sonny, and Linda Chirac, and Betty Davis. The other drummer is a guy named Paul Kembarrow, who plays on the majority of this record and only played on a handful of other like three or four records aside from this. One of those guys that just did a great job in this record and then disappeared for whatever reason. On percussion, we have three different players. We have the absolute legend, Ralph McDonald, easily one of the most important jazz musicians of the 70s. I won't even go into the list of people he played with because it's basically everyone. <laughs> uh, Carol Steele is on this. She went on to record with Roberta Flack, Melba Moore, and many others. And the third player is a guy named Sammy Figuero, who was also an incredibly prolific studio musician, played with Chic, Diana Ross, and many others. On piano and various keyboards and synthesizers, you have the man, Dave Grusin, who produced this record and did a lot of the arrangements and stuff on it. Angela Bofill herself plays acoustic piano on the last track. And then you've got a guy named Ray Chu, who's playing acoustic piano on two other tracks. He also formed another short-lived but notable funk band called Chu, which featured two other players from this record, Sammy Figuera and Tinker Barfield. Last on saxophone. That was the truncated list? <laughs> no, Last. it's not even done yet. <laughs> I know. Yeah, There are like, a lot of players on this record. but the <laughs> You open these, John, and it's like, let me get my greeting glasses. Yeah, this is a gatefold <laughs> full of information on the inside. <laughs> They they wanted you to read the lighter notes so that there's like the right you you can tell she was the the flagship artist for this this fledgling label because um they it's got the like thick sleeve and everything. Yeah, yeah they wanted people to buy this album. They were proud of it. They did. That's why you can get it for under five dollars. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Till like one of us gets famous and and then they'd be like, Oh well, Doogee bought it, so I gotta like you know what I mean <laughs> Doogee said it was good, so you yeah. know. We got to charge $15. Yeah, it's got that doogee bump now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Previously, we've had the I'd buy that bump. So we call that. Oh. 
we fit. <laughs> although I, I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if our listeners know that we're joking when we say that 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 these albums all go up in value after we feature them. <laughs> <laughs> they might very well think that we're serious. No, nah, so. man, we're just faking it till we make it. It's bound to happen someday. <laughs> well, that's it, funny because um, I was talking to um, our buddy Particle Ray yesterday, and he was talking about I was talking about um, feeding our um, our our venue owner um, some um, digging, you know, basics. You know, give him gives crates a little deeper than Bob James, and um, and then he was like, yeah, and also we should like do a list of like records under five dollars like that everybody should know and look for so we could have our own like internal database so yeah i'm um 2022 is the year of like getting even more organized as vinyl tap and like you know producing documents and having um having some knowledge recorded and shared among ourselves nice well we're all about spreading that knowledge here and i'd buy that for a dollar so who's on the saxophone sean Yes, the last player I'm going to talk about on this record, on saxophone, is a guy named Eddie Daniels, who worked frequently with Bob James, and also played on Diana Ross's Diana album from 1980 that we covered that we previously on the show. Featured. Yep. And that is the truncated version of the lineup on this record. Awesome. Uh, real quick, I have five records that I wrote down as recommendations of cheap heat to pick up if you're into what you've been hearing so far uh stephanie mills self-titled stephanie from 1981 is another record that's in virtually every dollar bin and is just so dope produced by james m2 may so you know it's hot denise williams this is nisi from 1976 we featured that on the pod a another classic 70s 80s diva that people should definitely be picking up Gene Carn, Happy to Be With You from 1978, a Philly soul record with some very similar vibes to this one, a lot of jazz influence going on. Uh, Gene Carn was the wife of Doug Carn, who we mentioned before, was the, was the owner of the Black Jazz label and did some cool spiritual free jazz around that time. Two more recommendations, Patrice Russian, her album Patrice from 1978. Uh, the follow-up album to that, Pizzazz, has gotten kind of valuable of late, but her other records are still cheap, and they have a really good jazz R&B crossover sound. She was also a pianist as well that had a big hand in the writing of her own material, just like Angela. And my final suggestion is another record that we featured on this show, Norman Connors' You Are My Starship from 1976, specifically because of the Phyllis Hyman feature. Phyllis Hyman and Angela Bofill were friends slash rivals throughout their careers. And apparently for a long time, they were actually often mistaken for each other. They have like similar builds and facial features, and they both have had multiple people confuse them for the other at times. Oh, wow. Does anybody else have any recommendations they want to throw on? Or are we just going to leave it at those five? I was going to mention Norman Connors if you didn't, but you did. So, nope. <laughs> bonus episode listen to the crusaders episode that peter did that's also a similar one to this vibe oh, oh true yeah, yeah. kind of jazz r&b yeah exactly well doji is there anything you wanted to plug while you're still here with us oh we had the plug part we hit the plug part if you're in philly on saturday come on down to urban village for crates and barrels from six to nine is that every saturday 
every Saturday since October 2nd. The only time we haven't been there was uh, Christmas. And um, Sean Harbarger is in the rotation. It's coming Saturday with um, Chick the Funk Man. By the time this episode airs, though, it'll be the previous Saturday. But hopefully everyone was there that heard this episode. I don't know, man. (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, it's every Saturday. It's a rotating cast of DJs that are all Vinyl Tap family, either core or affiliated. We'll be doing, uh, we're supposed to be back at Amalgam. It's got pushed to March 5th, hopefully, if it's safe to gather um, again by then. And um, yeah, check out for Vinyl Tap 215. You know, we'll, we'll be out here doing stuff. And um, follow us on Instagram, Vinyl Tap 215 or Juji 13. I do my best to uh, keep the um, folks informed about what's going on that week. You know, the algorithm, it tells the folks it wants to tell. But. <laughs> I just do my part. Blame it on the algorithm. Is 215 the area code out there, or what's 215? It's the, it's a, it's the Philly area code, okay. yes. Thank you for uh, asking such a pertinent question. We called it Vinyl Tap, just Vinyl Tap for like ever, and I had um, first did it in 2012, but we didn't, it was like a big hiatus, and then we started doing something about 2017 to 2018, and um, I don't know about y'all, but like when whenever I do something and I like think I named something, you know, what I mean, I Google it to see if someone else is also using that name. And um, but between 2012 and 2018, someone else was using the name Vinyl Tap. There's a place in Nashville, I think, that's like a a, a brewery that they, you can play records in, and I think there's a um, a crew in, in in UK that goes by Vinyl Tap. I mean, it's kind of a pun, like yeah. Spinal Tap. So it does, it's not like you know, what I mean, intellectual property for real. But like you know, you also want to have like you know, what I mean, ability to distinguish yourself. And it has roots in hip hop. You know, what I mean, as far as like being all city is the thing is a, is a is a goal in the like you know, what I mean, the foundational aspects of hip hop. You you like you you rock your block, you rock your hood, you rock your city. That's your man. Then, you know, the world's your oyster. Um, I mean, that's like traditional these days, you know, you just get like, you know, a bunch of uh, likes and followers and then you're famous. Right. (laughs) But um, I've heard that's how it works. That's what I've heard. But like, I'm not even trying to be famous. I'm just, you know, me trying to have steady work for me and my folks where we get to do, you know, real shit. So, yeah. And um, the logo that our homie, um, Oluwafeme designed it's in the, the vinyl tab 215 is in the shape of the, the city and county of Philadelphia. So <laughs> it's really very Philly based. It's very grassroots oriented. And uh, one of the things that has always been um, the most unique and positive aspect of the vinyl tab 215 gatherings is the mental health benefit, the like, the camaraderie, the feeling of fellowship, of being feeling better coming together with like-minded folks who want to play good music. And in during this time of this pandemic, this this crucible time, all this pressure and turbulence, we decided to lean into that and really um, focus on the um, the mental health aspect. And even like we do a, um, a bi-weekly Zoom that has started last winter where we just like, you know what I mean, do a Zoom where we just say, hey, you get enough sleep? Are you drinking water? Have you been outside today? You know what I mean? Cause like, especially in the winter time, having to be isolated, it's real easy to get like depressed or whatever. So um, it's all, it's community. Bounce Tap 25 is community and um, it's, it's family friendly 
and we have a beer sponsor so like that's dope too nice. shout out to 31st and Wharton <laughs> <laughs> oh wow my kid just jumped up on me <laughs> All right, excellent. We do want to, before we wrap up with our final thoughts here, we would like to inform our listeners that starting with our next episode, it's here. Our Patreon builder that we moved from the beginning of the season to mid-season is here. And we have some sick gifts to give our patrons and anyone who joins in the month of February. You will want to keep an eye on our social media, which you can follow us on Instagram at I'd Buy That Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search I'd Buy That for a dollar. We will come up and we'll be posting the gifts, the very sick designs that we have coming up here. And we'll have more information to come on that very, very soon. So just wanted to update everyone that that is happening throughout the month of february get ready I, I, oh, and yeah. we'll talk about it more can confirm these designs these designs are pretty awesome get ready oh yeah well thanks for joining us Duji. what are you leaving us with what song well, we, i guess we're just gonna play you finish out the um side a and play rainbow child all right let's do it awesome Side A, track four, Rainbow Child. Any final thoughts before we sign off? I think we should just let the music speak for itself. Deal. Yeah. Um, this is uh, this is one of the ones that she wrote, a more stripped down track. It's just her and Dave Grusin. So this is Rainbow Child, last track on side A. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Sean Hartman. I'm co-host Jeremy. I am Peter Cook. I'm Doogee 13. Thanks for joining us, Doogee 13. He was born on Sunday morning to carry on, carry on. It was like a ray of sunshine come the dawn, come and I looked at him and smiled when I realized this child had come into the world to carry on, carry on. La, 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 la. Just one look, I knew that God was on his side. And as he grew, I gave him all.